Lord Jesus, we thank you for your servant, Kelly. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the ways that you have uh, helped her and led her to prepare this message that we are to hear. And we pray, Holy Spirit, for your continued work through her and in us so that we may have eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to receive, and whole lives and bodies that are willing to be obedient to the message that we hear in faithfulness and trust that you truly do know what's best for us and that your love is amazing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. So our scripture passage this morning comes from John 15, and we'll be looking at verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The word of the Lord. So this morning, we're kind of on the edge of two more big transitions in the church year. The first is this coming Thursday, when we celebrate Jesus' ascension, when he once again left his disciples, but this time went to join the Father in heaven. And then two weeks from now, we get to celebrate Pentecost, when the spirit that Jesus promised he would send comes down and fills us with the power to go and spread the good news to the ends of the earth. Using that as kind of a framework to look at a timeline, if we were to try to place ourselves in the Gospel of John, it wouldn't actually be in our passage this morning. It would be a couple chapters later in John 21, where the disciples are once again walking with Jesus. They're learning from him. And it's kind of the end of the gospel because then acts start. And that's when the ascension happens, Pentecost happens, and the disciples know that they have to go out, that they do the work of building the church. And I want to briefly call your attention to something in John 21 that I think is important for us. And it's this passage that's titled, Jesus and Peter. Now, in the NIV, this section is called, Jesus Reinstates Peter. And other commentaries refer to this as the restoration of Peter. Now, if you're not familiar with this part of the gospel, you might be wondering, Why does Peter need this? But shortly before our passage today, 
Jesus foretold that Peter would deny him. And we do see that play out in the crucifixion story. As Jesus is arrested, Peter is with him, and people ask him, are you one of his disciples? Peter says, no, no, (laughs) I don't know him. And he does this three times. One of his greatest friends, who he has followed and learned from, he has turned his back on and denied knowing him. And now Jesus has come again. And I'm sure some of us can imagine some of the shame and the guilt that Peter must have felt. To have your friend be standing across from you once again and know that he knows that you have denied him. How do you go out and proclaim the good news? How do you build church community and be confident in the story of Jesus when you yourself are questioning your ability? I feel like that's where Peter is, and Jesus knows that. So before sending him out, Jesus tells him that he believes in him. And he does that through asking Peter, do you love me? And then he says, feed my sheep. The work that Peter is called to doesn't come from him trying to earn God's grace. It comes from the love that he has for Jesus. And that's why, even though this morning the lectionary takes us back before the crucifixion, I think it's very appropriate for us this morning. As we're on the verge of celebrating the church going out, of being the voice in this world, we ourselves sometimes need to be restored. We need to be reinstated. Because we all have times where we know that we have fallen short of what God calls us to. We know what it's like to feel shame and guilt, and that can sometimes hinder our relationship with God. And if you are struggling with God, if you're saying, I don't don't know if I'm okay with him because I keep sinning, how do you invite other people to experience his grace? So I coach track, high school track, And earlier this year, our head coach, who's also the Bible teacher at that school, called me up and asked me if I would be willing to meet with one of our students. And he said that this student had come to him and confessed to a seven-year struggle with pornography and that she just didn't know how to do it anymore. She didn't know how to keep building her relationship with God when this struggle was such a big part of her life. And so for several months, he had been working with her in how to avoid this temptation of how to acknowledge it, how to confess it to Jesus. And she had made a lot of progress, but he told her there was one last thing she had to do, and that was she had to tell someone else the truth of her struggle. She had to be willing to go to someone else and say, I struggle with pornography, And she said that she wanted me to be that person. And so he asked if I would be willing to meet with her. And so we went out for dinner, and she told me how scared she had been to meet with me. Because I had worked with her for four years, and she knew that I respected her as a student, as an athlete. She was so worried that if I knew this side of her, that I would no longer respect her. 
and no one in her church knew because she was so afraid that if they knew that this was a part of her life, that they would look at her different, that there wouldn't be a place for her in that community because they would look at her and just see that sin. And we talked about how Satan loves to work that way. Satan wants to isolate us. He wants us to believe that our sins are so great that no one could ever love us. And yet, this morning, John 15 tells us we have to abide in Jesus' love. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to go out and beg him for it. We didn't choose him, but he chose us, and he invites us to abide, to dwell in his love. The other thing I love about this passage is his transition in his relationship with his disciples. He says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. And I think that part of what friendship, part of what love is, is that bearing witness, that being present as people come to you and confess the parts of their lives that they're maybe ashamed of, the parts of the lives that they're fearful of, of being able to say, I see who you are in your entirety, the good and the bad, and yet I am still your friend. I love you. We as humans sometimes don't always do that perfectly, but Jesus does. He tells us, I love you. He wouldn't even went so far as to lay down his life for us so that we might receive that grace and that forgiveness. As I was researching for this, I came upon this quote from John Calvin. And he said, We ought to take care not to deprive ourselves of God's love. And that really just stuck with me. Because I think that we as Christians sometimes profess to know God's love, but we don't always allow ourselves to be in it. We deprive ourselves of it. We kind of fall into this, I have to work for it. Or I sinned and maybe I confessed it to God, but I don't really believe that he could forgive me, so I have to go do this good act to make up for it. That's not what Jesus says. He says, abide in my love. He's already laid down his life. The grace of forgiveness is there, and we need to live in it. So I think this passage this morning, this is our restoration. This is our reinstatement into who we are as Christians, into who God is calling us to be. And I think this is a restorative passage in two ways. The first is for us as individuals. For us to live into our identity as chosen by God. As recipients of grace. When we see ourselves as beloved of God, as worthy of his love, he calls us into it. That changes how we look at ourselves and how we relate to others. It gives us a confidence that sometimes we let go of because we know that God knew 
that we were going to sin. In this passage, Jesus had already told Peter, I know what you're going to do, and yet my love is there for you to abide in. And we have that as well. But secondly, I think this is also a restorative passage for us as the church, and not just Christ's community church, but for the church around the world. I think sometimes we really want to love each other, but we don't always know how. And I know I've been a part of some churches where when you walk in, they look like everything's perfect. It's kind of eerie how much they look like everything is pulled together. And if you walk in as someone who knows that there's some things not right in your life, you might not feel like you fit there. And yet I think this passage calls us to be vulnerable, to be honest, to trust the love that God offers and be willing to say, I'm not perfect. We as a church are not perfect. That's not what we're about. We're about love, love which covers over sins. I know that here at Christ Community, you're kind of going through this process of renewal. You're exploring new ways to be that light in this community, new ways to reach out and love people, new ways to tell the story of the gospel. And I think sometimes when you're going through a process like that, it can be really easy to get caught up in structures, in programs, and saying if we just had this, then maybe we would grow. If we just had a little more budget, if we just had a new building, if we just, whatever, then we would be the perfect church. But this morning, that's not what Jesus says. His commandment is clear, love one another. The lectionary commentary made this note on this passage. The society in which we live is not ready to be argued into the kingdom of God, but it is very ready to see Jesus demonstrated in real life. What a testimony it is when we love people, especially people who have hurt us, or people maybe that have disappointed us, people who have confided in us the parts of their life that aren't all that pretty. And yet we say, I love you and Jesus loves you. How much more open are their hearts to receiving the good news then? When I first read this passage, I was a little confused because it is chronologically You don't expect to go back to the Last Supper this far after Easter. But I was also excited because I love Maundy Thursday. When it comes to planning services, that is probably my favorite to plan. And I reflected a little on why that is. Why is Holy Week such a highlight for me? And I realized it's because Holy Week convinces me more than the rest of the year how much God loves me. That service of shadows and darkness reminds me that I am a sinner, that I'm not perfect, 
that on my own, I can't earn God's love. But Jesus still died for me. And he rose again and he conquered death and he invites me into his love and into his grace. And that gives me joy. I think that's why Jesus says here, when you know my love, your joy will be complete. I'm sure anyone who's had love from a parent or a friend or a spouse knows that it gives you this sense of joy. And that's what Holy Week does for me. And I know a lot of people, Christmas is that same way. That made me reflect on, in Grand Rapids, possibly here, I don't know, we talk about those Christmas and Easter Christians. Those people who, you'll see them on those two holidays, and maybe once or twice the rest of the year. But they're not there faithfully every Sunday. And I wondered if, besides the fact that that's when families gather together, if maybe people were drawn to those two Sundays, because that's when we as the church are most full of love and joy. Those are the two times of year where we are most vocal and most visual about showing just how great God's love is, how amazing his grace is, and that draws people in. But it also gives us a challenge. What about all the weeks in between? Some of them the lectionary and the liturgical calendar calls ordinary time. And I think that maybe we let our faith become ordinary then. We know in some part of our brain that, yeah, Jesus still loves me, I still have his grace. I've got kids to get to sports, I've got work. And, oh, I forgot to pray again. And we let our faith become ordinary. We don't remember the depths of his love. We don't dwell in it. We don't make time for scripture. We don't make time for prayer and for disciplines. Anybody else that we love, if we want to have a relationship with them, we seek to know them more. We say, I want to know things about you. Do we do that with Jesus? Do we sit and say, I just want to have a conversation with God? I want to read scripture because that tells me more about God. What would it look like if we as Christians and we as the church said, I want Christmas and Easter to be every Sunday? The joy that I have when I know the depths of his love, what if every Sunday we testified to that? What if every Monday through Saturday, we testified to that? What if Monday morning we went into work and our coworkers were like, you're really joyful and you're like, God loves me. How many more people might start asking, I kind of want to know what this is. Who is this Jesus figure? And it all starts with abiding in his love. So that's, that's my call to you this morning. If perhaps you sit on one of the teams or there's someone in your life that you know God is calling you to something, you feel like you want to be a part of it, but you're just not sure how, just abide. Rest in God's love. 
Let his love overwhelm you. I think you'll be amazed at what just happens, at what the Spirit does through you when you truly let his love and his joy fill every part of your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you love us, and you tell us just how much you love us. You showed us by sending your Son to die on the cross so that we might receive forgiveness. Lord, let that news fill us with joy. Let us be people who receive love but also give love. Let us be a testimony in this world to how powerful your love is. Lord, I pray that your spirit might reach every heart in this room, Lord. Let no one leave here questioning your love, but know that it is there, and all we have to do is abide in it. And Lord, we lift this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Let's respond by singing.